Welcome to podcast number three of the Paddock Council podcast. I'm Michael Palmer, and with and me I'm... tonight is Brandon Bachruth. Say hello, Brandon. Hello. And our guest is Kieran Gobi, who is our chief racing uh, school instructor. Hi, guys. Say hello. How are you? Uh, we are well. We are well. Oh, we have a pretty packed show. Uh, pretty much introducing uh, for our April Racing School weekend. But first, we're going to cover a little bit of news. Um, past weekend was Sebring 12 Hours. And I don't know if you two watched any of the Sebring 12 Hours, but I did. It was fantastic. And I'm a track pass holder with NBC, so I was able to watch all the support racing. And I recommend everybody that's listening to this podcast, to, you could check it out on YouTube now, the MX5 Cup race that was thursday afternoon and friday morning they were both phenomenal they had uh the finish on thursday afternoon was three wide to the line photo finish and the, the close racing on both races and then even the porsche support race uh super cup support race was um was a great race to watch so um and seabring 12 hours was uh action-packed as well with jd jdc uh mustang sampling winning uh, overall um, so I recommend that. Did you guys watch any of the race at all? I did not. I usually watch it later on on YouTube or something else like that. But I'm now actually staring at the Track Pass website, <laughs> considering that four ninety nine a month isn't a bad idea. <laughs> it, it, it is not. And do you get all the NASCAR regional stuff, uh, AMA f uh, flat track, the dirt motorcycles, and um, I think all maybe the road to Indy stuff as well. So. Um, oh wow! Yeah, I I highly recommend it. And uh, Brandon, yeah. were you able to catch any of the news at all, or watch any? Oh uh, no, I, I know there was a big crash. If you want to elaborate that, uh, there was, but I don't. I just saw it. I don't know all that was involved with that. Um, but yes, it was pretty massive. But everybody was okay. Um, just wadded up uh, a couple of the cars. Um, unfortunately, I don't have the information with me in front of me, but um, there's a highlight reel on YouTube you can watch from uh, NBC. And uh, I highly recommend um, everybody uh, watching that weekend's activities. They were great. So that's actually the only news we have outside of getting ready for the 2021 racing season. 30 days to go. 30 days to go. And with this, it is now on to our man, our school headmaster. If you want to call, <laughs> you can call Mr. Kieran Gobi. Hi guys. So, Hello. what did uh, what, what's the uh, what's the big burning question from uh, Michael Palmer about the school? My burning question is is I have I have all my times through racing school I have not had the virtual aspect or a test aspect. Can you explain to our listeners how this pre race or pre how can i put this pre-activity day testing goes so <clears throat> the requirements for the school are that you not only have to show that you can drive and listen to instruction and all the other aspects of it but we also want you to understand how midwestern council goes about doing a race weekend so everything from how our specific flags operate to how you will line up for 
tech of grid and conduct yourself on the racetrack and what you're expected to do during the day and all of the other aspects of a school, including, would you believe, driving. <laughs> so there's a lot in this class that we need to ensure that students are aware of to happily, let's put it, uh, pass a test at the end of the day that would qualify you to actually enter the on-track portion of the school. There's a lot of procedural things in racing that aren't really obvious to people who haven't done it before. And things like that yellow flag, what does it really mean? What does it actually mean to you inside the car needs to be carefully explained. And then we'll test you on it just to make sure you actually have retained that information. The fact we're doing it online this year, and we did it last year too, it was part of the pandemic response, but it's actually become really successful. Right. And, the, and that, that, that was, it was out of necessity last year, but I think it was yeah. pretty well received. And I don't know if you want to talk, if, if you've improved it or changed it at all for this year. I mean, my, my plans were glorious. My plans were to really enhance it and have amazing, amazing presentations. Um, but unfortunately, we're going to basically run last year's uh, Zoom meeting style of doing things, which was quite successful. Uh, update the materials just a little bit. Um, because being a volunteer, the personal life got in the way of a lot of this of these grandiose plans. But certainly, we're going to do an online presentation, PowerPoint, uh, speak to students, about two hours a class. Uh, we're going to have about two options at the moment, planning for two options, somewhere between the 9th and the 19th of April, trying to get close to the school, but not so close as to make it crammed, so you can't get self-prepared, but close enough that you will remember the things we've talked about. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, no, it was really, it was, what was nice about it is because <clears throat> it wasn't at the track on the Friday in the cold or later on in the year in the stinking heat. It was, it's, I think it's more conducive to learning and the test results we got were very good. And it, we couldn't have an open book because we didn't give you the book until after the <laughs> after your test. So I, I really do think the results are quite good. Yeah. Easier grading too, right? Oh yeah. The machine did it. Yeah. That's real helpful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. we got real good results from it. And we've got really good participation, obviously, because you can't go to the school unless you turn up. Um, but I'm working it out with the other group leads. So the open wheel group lead of Lynn, Sarah and Scott Durbin um, and the closed wheel group lead, Dan Ibrahim, uh, we're all going to work together. There's a couple of volunteers to help us. One is uh, Dave Farnsworth. He's going to help us, hopefully. He's, he certainly put his hand up. We'll see if, see if he follows through. I think he will. Um, and we're going to try to put the on a couple of classes, not too many, because there, there are quite a few close to a group people, but there aren't that many uh, yet, uh, but certainly enough to spread them out across two classes. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I hadn't looked at the numbers yet. How are we looking? We are looking at ooh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. 19 competition score people, closed world and open world. Hmm. 
which is pretty good for us. And we've already got about six uh, track timers as well. So not bad, really, for, for a school still kind of associated, at least partially, with the pandemic. Some really good results. Now, um, for the school, uh, they updated the helmet re uh, regulations, correct? We are, are we able to have SA 2010s? Yeah, we are. We're actually able to. Um, that was a change at the last minute here in the last couple of weeks. Uh, so, yes, you will be able to use your 2010 helmet. Oh, good for me. Save a few hundred bucks. Um, <laughs> though I should really replace it. Um, but yeah, there was a down to the ability to get 2020 helmets. I think that was the the main cause of that. But certainly, you don't have to show up to the school with a brand, shiny brand new helmet and borrow one. Now, how long is the testing procedure that's done? And this is all done Friday night, correct? Or is it done like the week of on your own time online? Like how yeah. how is this scheduled? Yeah, so <clears throat> we'll hand out, the, we'll do the class, we'll conduct the class live, we'll do it with the group, uh, and then immediately after the class, we'll actually send you a URL, and the URL will allow you to open the link to the test. You give us your name, and you take the questions. It doesn't take very long, about 40 minutes of a test, or thereabouts, and uh, it sends me notification that you've done it, and I log in and get your results, download them, and uh, I'm able to hand them to your instructor um, at the school itself. And if you haven't excellent, done a very good job, I'll ask you to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, right. now, now, this isn't just for wheel-to-wheel -wheel participants or club racers. Um, we actually have a, our high-speed autocross or our time trials type program. They have a school the same day as well. How is that going to be integrated this year? Yeah, so in the past, what we've told the HBDE high-speed autocross students it, what to do to do is to come to the wheel-to-wheel -wheel class, and, and, and it's optional. I think this year, um, reaching out to Eric Barnes and a few of – the other group leads, uh, well, people, uh, notables within the autocross community have stepped forward to help him with instruction and classes and things like that. Because there weren't, I have to say, there wasn't a lot of um, participation recently. So the HPDE group, which is now six people um, and growing every every time, every, every couple of days, I get a ping from the, uh, the email tool telling me that someone else has signed up. But we're going to probably do a, a separate class run by Eric uh, or one of his uh, helpers and do their own particular uh, classroom session online. There's no test component to HBDE. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's run what you brung sort of mentality. But we do want to give people the option or the ability to sit through a class and understand what the nuances of Midwestern Council high-speed autocross are a lot of people coming to uh, high-speed autocross come from the HBDE community or solo, you know, SCCA's parking lot autocross series. And so our particular take on autocross is unique in many ways. So teaching and going through a class and understanding what it looks like is really important. 
the actual school itself, the track school, we've integrated the high-speed autocross session as more of an HBDE format because it's more conducive to learning, um, learning how to drive, that is. It also gives us an opportunity to allow drivers who want to go wheel-to-wheel an opportunity to go through an HBDE-style school. And we've increased the track time per session from 15 to 20 minutes to actually give them some real a real real time on the track as well if the cars last <laughs> let's hope brandon, they do brandon speaks from uh <laughs> brandon speaks from 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 experience i understand i do i do, I do. I, I, for a while right my my very first <laughs> track day ever was the high speed autocross school in 2016 and no one tell me, told me my brakes were going to get so hot, so I lost my little decorative <laughs> center caps on my wheels. I just came back to the track, and the steam was coming off the brakes, and they were just missing. Yeah, I have lots of, lots of experience driving at Brake Hawk. Um, <laughs> I started an autocross, too, uh, myself, a long time ago. Yes, back, back in the day when you were doing it... Um... It was quite the thing, wasn't it? What, what did you run back then? Well, we started off. My dad um, led the charge. He, in 90, 91 or 92, I think it was 91, he was, I think he was in his late 40s. And as every man does, he has that notion that he's going to go and get himself a sports car. So he does... Well, every man like me, anyway. <laughs> every man I know goes and gets a sports car when they're late forties. Um, he went out and got himself a Miata. Uh, the Miata that he got was a 1990, and uh, so it was a one-year-old used car. And uh, he turned up at Blackhawk at a council high-speed autocross event and uh, did it just before they put in the change at three, whatever three A B C D whatever that kink is before turn four now. Uh, he, he did that old track and he really enjoyed it. And of course he comes back from the track and I'm standing in the kitchen as he's turning up and he's pulling this helmet out of the piano. Where have you been? <laughs> and he's like, Oh, I've been to the racetrack. I've done it. I'm like, what? You, you could have told me. And we had this big, you know, sort of screaming, <laughs> excited conversation about going to the racetrack. And the next year I went, um, council changed the rules. He couldn't run a convertible without a robot. That didn't want to put a robot in his car. So we bought us. Well, I bought dad bought, I bought, I can't remember who bought it, but I bought a second generation RX seven and it was a fantastic car. Couldn't, couldn't get it to drive right. Cause it was terrible, but, um, absolute brilliant car. So I started in 92, I think it must've been 93. I uh, did some BMW club events, HPDs, and I did a lot of uh, high-speed autocross. Uh, but because I was really young, I was 22 or 3, I uh, immediately switched the car out to a Probe GT when they came out because it was what I thought was better car and melted the brakes on that almost instantly. Um, but I did run that for a few years, and then ultimately I got a 95 Mustang Cobra and really enjoyed myself with that car and Ooh, had a lot of fun. That's quite the upgrade. Yeah. It was. It was. Front wheel drive be damned. I'm off to uh, Mustang land and it was great. Yeah, it was yeah, really yeah, great. Yeah, car. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Brandon drives front wheel drive car. <laughs> well, the competition. Fast wheel drive. 
the competition back then was a little more stiffer than we have it today, correct? Yeah, I, I, I would say every, every event had more than 75 people. I think at some events we had upwards of 100, 150 in the peak events. Um, in fact, a lot of the people who ran it back then, well, some of the people who ran it back then are still around, Harry Peterson, a few other guys. Um, they still do it too. John Churchill was one of those guys as well. Um, in fact, Eric Barnes was one of those guys as well. And we, we ran, we had a lot of, we had a lot of comp- competition. We had a lot of people crossing over from wheel to wheel too. There's a guy named Ian Haskell managed to win C, C, CP or what it was, C prepared, C stock and ITB all in one year. Oh, <laughs> he was running the one car, two cars in one class one year. And I think he won first and second place. And then they wrote a rule to say you couldn't do that anymore. <laughs> Sounds like Scott Tucker. <laughs> I mean, let me oh, be yeah, a part of Scott. all the teams I'm part of, part involved in. <laughs> wow. oh, yeah. So if we if we oh, came yeah. up with the triple crown back then, Mike, he definitely would have gone for. Oh, he would. Yeah, he would have won the triple crown oh, yeah. hands down. <laughs> you know, Ian was crazy. He's still my friend. Um, he, in fact, he, he, he co-drove my car at the Enduro at Road America last year. And he actually went faster than me, that guy who's not been driving for 20 years. It's like, what? Oh, wow. How did you do that? But then, of course, I got in the car and the tires were roasted. <laughs> it was impossible to go fast. <laughs> that was his gift to you. It was. Here, Kieran, here's some worn out tires. See if you can get close. Nope. <laughs> So, yeah, out, so outside of this HPDE 20-minute session for the high-speed autocrossers to learn, um, are, are you guys doing like what we used to do in Skip Barber? We did a lot of wagon runs. Are you hmm. guys going to be doing wagon runs at all? We debated, and I had scheduled it out because of pandemic concerns. And then my father and a few other people said that's a bad idea. So we put it back in. There will be a lunchtime and an early morning station wagon run for everybody. Uh, The pandemic rules will have to be in place because of the racetrack and our own policies. But essentially, you will have to be in a mask and all the windows down. And the limitation on passengers is, well, two people in a car, really. You don't want anyone... Uh, or don't want to expose anyone to anything unnecessarily. But yes, there will be station wagon rounds, so you can take your students around, get, orient them. It's particularly important for open-wheel students, as you can imagine. They don't get the opportunity to sit in the car with an instructor ever. Mm-hmm. So giving them the orientation of the track, the idea of where the track goes, the idea of the track limits, where the corner workers are and stuff, is important. And the instructors kind of club together unanimously, well, mostly unanimously, to suggest they put it back in. And that wasn't that wasn't a very hard decision to make. If the rest of the group wants it, let's make it happen. So I did. Any thought of doing track walks at some point? Uh, track walks are always a, always a really good idea. Blackhawk will allow you to do them in the evenings. Um, so if you arrive on Friday. Friday is important for close wheel and student, uh, sorry, wheel to wheel and students, all wheel to wheel students, is to to turn up on the track on Friday night, get your car teched, go through registration, because on Saturday morning there is no time, even though 
we give you the option of it. There really isn't any time to check your car, go for registration, attend two meetings and meet your instructor before you get on track and put your gear on. So, yeah, don't cram it. Turn up on Friday night. And, yeah, you can walk the track on Friday night. I won't be guiding anyone. Who needs to walk that far? I'm just joking. But um, maybe uh, maybe we'll get uh, Michael or you to do it. Yes. No, it is available. You can do it. As long as the track doesn't mind. They've never minded before, and I've walked the track a hundred times. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It seems like every year now we do it with uh, Daryl Wessel. He gets us out there and oh, drops yeah. his wisdom on us and it's good to go out there and see you know feel the width of the track from the height you'd be sitting and look at the yeah. uh rumble strips and the gators that you want to stay off of because they are a lot bigger in person than they are in the car yeah and when you're really hauling through turn three at black hole and your car's moving around sometimes you're not aware of how bumpy that bit of track is and where you know if you know where those bumps are and your car is moving around underneath you um then knowing where those bumps are and putting the car in the right spot really 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 helps a lot well and also too with the winners we have up here things happen with ground settling and just normal you know normal wear from just the environment so i think that's that's a good thing to do is walk and just see what kind of new stuff's there and maybe there's been some upgrades that blackhawks done it we don't know about right that's the other thing too sure there is there are some patches out there that surface changes oh yeah yeah paul machute the owner of the track has done an awful lot to the track to improve things and he does a little bit every year Uh, he owns a much larger company than just blackhawk and i think a lot of the money of that business comes back to blackhawk and it's reinvested into uh, Blackhawk. So it really is improving every single year. Drainage is improving, the sight lines are improving, safety is improving, facilities are improving constantly. So yeah, walking around the track is a good idea. And some of those patches are really handy to know where they end. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The new (laughs) patch is really, really sticky, but the old stuff isn't. Now, now with the racing the classroom component um where are you guys going to be doing the classrooms at is it going to be battle at the tower base or are you going to be in the big the bigger pavilion there um where do you guys we, do all that we like we're going to let us do classrooms at the moment uh that might change but we won't have classrooms at the racetrack this time the protocol for instructors this time will be to come back after each on-track session as a group share what they understand about what this, what happened on the racetrack with the students. And each of the instructors will go back to their students privately and have this conversation about what's going on, help them with the track, help them with the line, help them with the feedback that they've just received in the instructor session. So just, just it's, it's a loss, I think, in, in participation. Um, but I, I think it's, it doesn't lose out in necessarily in the instruction. Um, it, it stops me from talking all day, which is uh, probably good for the students. <laughs> uh, and some of those instructor sessions, those, those classroom sessions can be quite overwhelming. So managing that, there's some loss, I agree, uh, to, to the comments been, that have been made, but mostly I think, uh, we haven't lost any of the instruction value. 
Uh, that's good. That's yeah. And, and, and with, with this approach we have to do given this COVID-19 time, uh, period of, of our, of our lives, um, it's not terrible. You're still meeting one-on-one. So they are getting that. And then, mm-hmm. you know, back and forth. So it's just, you guys have to change it up. So no, I, I like how everything's going in this year. Cause we didn't have an April school last year. We did a, uh, you know, we were the only one in the region that had a racing school and it was in July. And so yeah. as you know, it was uh SCCA. We, we took on the SCCA students at ours as well as the uh, VSCDA vintage students. So, um, you know, so this year it looks like everybody's back on schedule. All the other groups have their own thing going on. So um, we might get some crossover for our school again, but it looks like every, you know, we're back settling down a little bit. Um, yeah. Back to normal. So it, uh, you know, as long as it's the weather's great, cause it did snow two years ago. <laughs> Don't remind me. Was that the school you went to Brandon? Yes. <laughs> you were in the Fiat and we had to take the, well, somebody took the windshield out, right? I yeah, well, it kept fogging up. That that was uh, I'm telling you, that was my worst day in racing, ever. All the last four or five years that I've been involved, uh, I had the twelve-year-old cracked rain tires in a car I hadn't driven yet, and it was wet and snowy. Windshield kept fogging up. We took the windshield out, and then my hands got wet, and my fingers froze. Although I mean, it did. The funniest part was though when I took out the six corner six is a uh, snowman i had slid oh. and i broadsided it with the door and all i heard to the, the missing windshield was you killed my snowman <laughs> brilliant yeah. that was um it was that was a score i was in the tower for most of that score and i felt very sorry for the everyone in the snow i, I really did honest bottom of my heart it was my 50th birthday <laughs> and uh I, I spent a lot of day a lot of the day in the tower where the heat was away from the snow directing people by yelling screaming out of windows much better than sitting in the race car with no windshield i, I really felt sorry for you and only giggled a little bit we tried to cancel the score so three or four three or four meetings we actually had people in the tower group meetings should we cancel oh no the weather's getting better and then it would get worse and then we'd come back to the tower and go we should really cancel and then everyone's like no let's move forward this is a great driving experience for everybody i'm like this is terrible what are you talking about but ultimately they kept on going with the school i I did have i did learn how to drive out the side window though that second session when it started sleeting Uh the entire front windshield froze over and i couldn't see I just turned my head out the corner window and I saw the edge of the grass of the track and I just used the edge of the track to navigate myself back over to the pit because I couldn't look forward anymore. That's terrible. So, Kieran, if I'm going through the racing school on Saturday and I'm a student, I'm going through all the learning, the the van arounds, things like that. When do I get a sign off that I like, what kind of license would I get? Like, what is the, my end of the day? What is that like? So this is the test of Kieran's knowledge question. This is good. Um, Ultimately everyone who comes to the school, if they do meet the criteria, they have passed the online test and they've done everything right for the school. They would walk away with a novice license, which essentially means you who, you are now under observation for three races before you get your full comp license. 
So ultimately, you walk away with a novice. It's a license that allows you to participate in races. There are no restrictions on you. You can race how you feel like. But you are under observation from the chief steward of the events that you go to. So there is someone watching you to make sure you don't, you're not a threat or a, a safety, some kind of liability. You actually know what you do, you're doing and you've remembered the classes, you know, uh, missing flags and things like that would, would extend the number of races before you finally get a sign off. No one's going to turn around and say, oh, you're terrible. We're going to take your license away. But you certainly might not get a sign off if your uh, event participation record this uh, demonstrates some some lack of knowledge or lack of skill in some way that we would just give you more time to before we give you the full comp. Um, the reason for that is because this when our score is considered quite good. So there's a lot of organizations we have licensing reciprocity with. So the SCCA and the VSCDA, for instance, accept our license, our full comp. And our novice licenses, in some ways, they give you a, a, their own version of that when, if you turn up with a council novice. So if you go through our school, we've got more than just our own organization's pressure, let's call it, um, to, to pass people with, um, with some consideration of not just ourselves. So when we, uh, when we issue the license for novice, if you're going to race with us, you'll need at least three successful races or race weekends or races uh, before you can actually be considered a full comp license. And that notion of success means you've, you've actually pulled it off. You've done well. It's not a particularly high bar. You don't have to be Superman, but you certainly don't want to demonstrate some poor choices and uh, lack of knowledge. You want to, you want to know what you're doing. Um, you can get, if you've got previous experience, and you're having to come back through the school for relicensing concerns, you can receive a full comp from the school. That's a vote. It's done at the board level after the school. Um, but otherwise, you might get a provisional if you've come as a retread. And the provisional license is a lot like novice, but a step up. You just have to have a race or two to demonstrate that you're back and you're aware of your your surroundings and you might receive a full comp quite quickly. Um, minors, minors get a minor participation license um, because under, I think it's under 18, you are considered a minor by our insurance and the organization as a whole. And to participate, we need a guardian at the track so the minor participation license doesn't restrict your driving, doesn't do anything crazy, but you couldn't race if your guardian wasn't there. And it's a way of identifying those, those, sorry, those drivers as minors and that there is a parent or a guardian of some sort at the track that we can contact and talk to as well as the, uh, as well as the driver themselves. So minor participation license and a minor participation form would need to occur. I think you can race... You know, I think our limit on minors is 14 years old, so you can be quite young. And there are a couple of we've. We, I think we have one this year coming through the schools 14. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, yeah. There was, I, I, I remember when I was racing USAC um, back in the early 2000s. There were quite a bit of uh, underage kids that would get emancipated early for that reason, because mm. they ran so many nights of the week. 
And so it would be the, the, the 14 year old racing a midget car with his crew, but his parents weren't there. So they emancipated him. <laughs> so, oh, wow. So yeah, that's, there's that's been, dedication right there. That is, that is dedication, but uh, I'm glad to hear that we have some youngins getting into the racing school at 14. Yeah. From Cardi the last or, three years, last three years, we've had one at every school at least. That's yeah. good. Yeah. That's good. Very good. Very good. Now, when they do they get a race graduation certificate right now or does that come later with the license is there a diploma are we doing yeah, any so kind after, of cap and gown type deal <laughs> we kind of do um in the pavilion with the windows up which will be lovely and cold in april um with the gates up and the doors open and everyone in uh, in mass we'll be doing a licensing ceremony of sorts uh, after the event where we hand out the novice and whatever licenses and there's a little emotional speech by the group lead about the wonderful students like Brandon who received their licenses and you uh, can come up, get a, a well, uh, happy shaken shake hand or actually this year will be an elbow um, and then we'll uh, give you a license and uh, you can ceremoniously rush over to registration for Sunday and you can participate in Sunday's race. Excellent. Excellent. And the Sunday race is the no time to spend being, being promoted by Lakeshore sports car club and salt Creek sports car club. So that's our first race of the year. So that'll be nice. And um, now to get to your racing, Karen, now normally you would be racing that Sunday in a mm-hmm. ITS BMW, but what has happened to this off season? Or in actually first, season, well, well first, yeah, f- first tell the people how you ended last season. How'd you end last oh. season, Karen? I am, I am, I am ITS 2020 champion. Excellent. Thank you very much. I'm clapping right now. Excellent. <laughs> Compiler. <laughs> Now what yes, happened? I, uh, to, now what car was that? Tell us what car was that. So that was, yeah. So that was my 1986 BMW 325 uh, with an IS engine. Uh, so the uh, the 2.5 liter 36 ITS car. It wasn't a specy 30 at one point, but we converted it to the ITS. Um, in 2015, we came back to council. And uh, I threw some suspension on it and bigger tires and hoosiers and things. And we started racing in ITS, uh, slowly putting the car very, very slowly. And if you're, if you're a student of software delivery lifecycle, I did it in a very agile way, <laughs> putting the car together step-by-step step to just to get it fast enough. I didn't want to build the, the fastest car in the world. I just wanted a car that I could compete and race at the front of the pack with and have fun. Ultimately that turned into a very fast car and I was very happy with it. And I got a competition for the last three seasons from a guy named Josh Merline who actually won, I won the 2018 net championship. He won the 2019 championship and I've won the 2020 championship. So we've, uh, we've been uh, racing very hard together, really enjoying it. Lots and lots of fun, huge camaraderie. And uh, we lumped in with, together, we both went over to track car rental 
to have them support the cars for us. Both of us have careers that are quite um, involving and it's better to have someone else help you and they transport my car and they take care of the car. And uh, it was spectacular last season. The car was absolutely brilliant. And and uh, Dan Frodel over there at Track Car Rental did a superb job on it to get it in a really, really good place. And it was really fast. And it was Josh and I, both cars prepared by Track Car Rental, competing really my first overall pole, my first overall win, my first my fastest track uh, lap time, just all sorts of stuff came out of last season. It was really good. Um, and it all goes to Dan and, and, and Trek Reynolds, really. They really did a fantastic job. And because the car was in such great condition, such great uh, position, I decided to sell it. <laughs> and it's gone. And I sold it to someone else. Now, is that going to stay in the area? Or when it went, did it go to another I area? did a very careful job of looking for a council member to sell it to. And so it's gone to a guy named Steve Toth, uh, or Toth. And Steve's a very nice guy. He's got tons of experience. Um, he likes he likes to race C30s. He's taken on the car, and he'll be at the ITS, uh, in, the, in the ITS races this season with uh, my old car. Steve's car is it's now known. And uh, I think he's very, very happy. He started work on it already. He's actually handed it over to Dan at track car rental, conveniently. So we've uh, been talking about what he should do to the car. It's very little. It's like, well, change the brake pads and put a seat in it because he's smaller than me. Well, that's good, too, because it keeps it in the family because he's an autocross guy as well. That moved up. Yeah. I believe yeah. so. So that's good. So. The, Steve purchased the ITS car. So now what are you going to be doing? Or are you going to be doing anything this year with your new? Yeah, no, that's actually a really good question. We're, we're, yeah, no, I think. So what I ended up doing is I sold the car uh, to Steve, I think, January 9th or something like that. And or 13th, I forget exactly the date. But by the end of that week, I'd already bought myself a... Um, an E46 330, if you know what that is, that's the spec E46 car. And it's mostly prepared for spec E46. It just doesn't have a roll cage. Um, the roll cages are rather expensive and you want to do the right job and you want to do the right thing with them. So uh, the, cars, the car was transported. I bought it from a guy in Florida who transported the car himself to Sebring. And the guy, there just so happened that Ben Merwin of Advanced Autosports, our great and wonderful spec Miata builders in the Midwest, the greatest of all of them probably, mm. happened to be at Sebring. And you happened to know him quite well, thank God. <laughs> and he transported the car back to Illinois for me, actually to Wisconsin, to their shop. And I picked it up about three weeks ago. And my wife drove it because it's got a tiny little seat in it. And she drove it over to Dan's and it's back at uh, track car rental for roll cage. And uh, I bought a roll cage parts from roll cage components in Virginia. And that roll cage, all those roll cage parts are on their way to Dan right now. So my season is going to start when the roll cage is done. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Good. Whenever that happens to be. <laughs> getting close yeah and that'll be an ft car 
So I'll probably run it in ST three or four, probably three, and chase Dan at track car rental around in his three eighteen Ti with the M three engine in it. So that'll be fun. We'll we'll see what happens. And uh, Josh has also moved on as well. He's selling his E30 and he's bought himself an E90. All these BMW codes. I'm sure right. I'm confusing the <laughs> heck out of people. But essentially a 2006 325 he's got himself. Uh, 2009, I think, two, uh, 325. Nice car. A lot different than the E46. E46 is the last of a certain type of generation. And he's bought the next one, the step up, as it were. And so I'll be chasing him around again. Um, it wasn't necessarily planned, but it was in many ways to move up mm -hmm. to a, a more modern BMW together. Uh, he decided to go one step further than me. I like the uh, the 46 platform. He wanted to try the E90 platform. So that'd be fun. Now, out now you've raced a lot of different cars. Is there something of a larger connection to BMW, or you just found that's your groove and that's where you're most successful? Um, yeah, no, you you're right. I, I I guess I started with Mazdas, and I had a my dad and I owned that Mazda Miata that I, I mentioned earlier. We owned that Miata. Well, he owned it, and then I owned it um, for 19 years, and we ran a lot of I ran a lot of autocross with it, solo parking lot stuff. And I really enjoyed Master. Master was always good support, um, really good. And it just so happens to be I, I'm six foot three and I'm 235 pounds. So racing me out is just quite uncomfortable. Um, so it actually took me away from the brand. And simultaneously, Dad and I were BMW club members and instructors. So it was an easy step for me to look at the, the E30 platform instead of the Miata platform. Um, the 1980s BMWs were very, very reliable and extremely cheap to race. I, I can't explain. The, the, the rotors 10 years ago were 25 bucks each. It's ridiculous. <laughs> well, well, then everyone figured that out. Yeah, yeah then everybody the figured out. There's thousands of them out there now. Yeah, the prices are amazingly expensive. Yeah. But yeah, though, that's a, it's a really great car to race. I can't. I can't think of anything cheaper than an E30 BMW for the speed you get for the price. It's, it's fabulous. You, you're running with the front running spec Miatas, you know, $50,000 spec Miatas. You're running right there with them. It's a really good car. You're in different classes, so it doesn't, you're not really trying to race each other necessarily, but it, it is a good experience to be running, you know, fast and fun. It is a nice light car too. So it's really possible, really, really easy to drive. And to be honest, because having driven both Miatas and BMW E30s on the racetrack, they actually drive quite similarly, even though they're vastly different cars and, and decades apart in terms of technology. They're a very similar driving style. And it was nice for me to be able to port what I'd learned in the Miata all those years over to the E30. Um, Dad had an E30 M3 in the 90s that we ran at bmw club so i had a lot of experience in e30s anyway um so it was a natural fit for me it was either going to be that or the other or an rx7 that's ultimately what i was going to end up in oh i guess a mustang i like mustangs too oh there's lots of other cars i would pick but <laughs> but certainly out of the out of the choices it came down to what could i afford what could i get out of in an emergency and what could go faster for the dollar? And I landed on E30 because I'm big, 
Otherwise, I think I probably would have ended up in RX-7 Armiana. Now, I have a question for both of you. So I know, Brandon, you ran ITD, and then you ran ST1 this past year, correct? And then, Karen, you ran ITS, and now you're going to ST. What what are the similarities and differences between both those classes? Um, And I know, Karen, you were heavily involved with getting us (laughs) – an ST type situation similar to NASA and some other organizations. So, you know, what was some of the, you know, brain child stuff behind that? Yeah. And and, Brent, and I'm sure Brandon can, can come in as well. Cause it really suits, suits that car that he's got the Fiesta. The, the idea was, so ST or street tuner class has been around for quite a long time. It was originally invented by, I think Scott Green, um, club member many years ago and it was an ST1 and an ST2 class and the, and the broadness of the rules really were attractive to people who didn't necessarily have a car that would fit into an IT or a production uh, class and it's a lot broader the rules are really very very uh, broad so it's a lot more uh, it fit a lot of cars but what we started to see with people coming to the racetrack in our, and turning up in ST2 or ST1. And it started to become quite obvious that the faster cars, the ST1 cars, were really, really, really getting very fast. And some people in ST1 weren't very competitive, even though they hadn't done much um, and were trying, were struggling a little bit. But because of the attractiveness of the rules and the modernness, there's <laughs> a word, uh, the modernity of the rules really allowed for basically anyone to show up. And that was great. And when you look at GTS in, in, in NASA or performance touring or any of the other SCCA classes like STU and STL, what is it? ST light. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. There's all sorts of these sort of very broad modern style of building cars that essentially attract a much younger audience and much more participation from uh, people who built cars for the BMW club or built cars for NASA or built cars for WRL or AER or uh, Champ Car or even Lemons. And so there's so many cars out there that are being built that are not being built for IT or production that it's a pretty easy decision to make to make our rules a little bit more inclusive give more cars places to race competitively and expand the uh, mandate for ST. So we added ST1, uh, ST3 and ST4, flipped it upside down so that ST4 is now the fastest class and ST1 is the smallest engine class. And essentially you've got a place to race almost any car. The, the brakes rules are very loose. The wheel size rules are very loose. So you can update the brakes and the tires on a Fiesta and go even faster with the same old car. Yeah, that was that was the main Pretty thing good. for me was the Radmans had put that Willwood kit on the Fiesta because it was bigger and they do last longer. Those Willwoods, I got pretty much a full season out of them, whereas the old you know stock pads are gone after like two races. So it was already illegal oh, wow. for ITD, so it made sense to make that switch over. And then also I could you know update some aero things or I got new carbs this year, so I can make some more horsepower now. And it's just, you know, it's just easier. And then I can eventually engine swap it. Yeah, absolutely. 
and the now, Indian swap rules are really good, great. They're really fun. Now, do you see so, this uh, as an industry, as an industry as a whole? Like I know you said, there's new classes, and and you know guys are going to this type of format. So where do you see IT eventually ending up? Is it just going to go away, like some of the older classes have gone, or should we hold on to IT if this is the deal? Um, you know, what do you think? I think, I, I think ultimately, IT. IT is a place to drive old IT cars. It's not a place to drive new cars. Mm-hmm. Um, as those are, as those older cars age out of racing, become obsolete, uh, then I think IT will start to naturally, um, the participation in IT will, will start to, well, it has begun to drift off. You know, when I was first starting racing in the, in the early 90s, 96, I got my first license. And the number of IT cars on the track matched the number of spec Miatas that we get today. Oh, wow. um, yeah, oh, yeah. I was, it was 10 cars in ITB. There was 12 cars in ITC. There were six cars in ITS. It was, it was just a huge number of cars. Um, nowadays, that's basically spec Miata. Um, we've got some IT cars. I enjoy ITS. There's a lot of guys running ITA and ITB. Um, but a lot less than it used to be. And it's one, because the cars are less available. You know, you, you don't go down the street and find yourself a, uh, a 1986 RX-7 just off the shelf anymore. Um, but also kids today, the people who are turning up, sorry, Brandon, I referred to you as a kid. <laughs> um, the young Brandon's an today, old soul, as they say. He's racing an old, a, a car older than me, and I'm 41. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So... <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, like, like it, well, I fell stuff. into my lap. I didn't intend on becoming Fiesta guy, but oh, I think it's cool. But that's a cool car. Well, yeah. kid, everyone had an XR2 in London. So the right. uh, the notion of a modern car, you know, something newer than 2000, <laughs> 20 year old cars, that's what people are looking at today. You know, if you want to go build a car, no one's going to build, sorry, Brandon, no one's going to build a 1977 Fiesta. They're much more likely to go down to the uh, wade through Facebook Marketplace and look for the look for a, a 2006 uh, Mitsubishi or Honda or something and bring that to the crack. That's much more relevant to the modern racing community. And I think that because the rules are also quite open, and the notion of tuning your car but not necessarily following a rule book is much more current. You know, look at great. Uh, uh, grid life touring car and you look at STU and NASA the, the participation is from people who want to buy and an, do an engine swap like you mentioned uh, to buy a, an E36 BMW or an E40 BMW and stick an M3 engine in it or buy a Honda and put a K-series engine in it do something really radical buy a Miata and put a K-series engine in it <laughs> do something really radical really cool and upgrade the brakes and upgrade the wheels and put a wing on it. A wang. And that's Make what people want to do today. Yeah, absolutely. That's what, that's what building a car is about today. When I was young, it was about pouring over the GCR, trying to make careful decisions about what you wanted to spend your money on and building something that was just a little bit faster than showroom stock. They don't want to do that anymore. Yeah, it's all cyclical, too. I mean, there used to be, you know, 50, 60 cars in Formula Ford, you know, back when they started. Oh, yeah. Days, so. 
but no, but I, I decade to decade. But I th- I think you know it goes back to what you know what Kieran was saying was and you see it drastically in open wheel. You know I came up through open wheel, um, but we had no problem going to a fabricator to make things for our cars and things like that. Um, special components. I don't think this younger generation wants that. They just want to buy a bunch of parts off Tyrex, slap it on and go. You know, okay. so it's you know, and the sedans are they're relatable and and you know the train car aspect. Um, you know, I mean, just look at the Mazda Miatas. I mean, it's close racing and the best bang for your buck. I don't know if, I don't know if a lot of the generation behind me and I'm aging myself dramatically, but some of Brandon's peers, I'm going to throw him under the bus. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't think they want to take a formula Ford 2000 in the garage and spend 20 hours trying to tweak it. Does that make sense? I, I, I think they just want to go and I don't think they have the time to do that anymore. Yeah. I think, I think it depends on the there person. are people who are interested. Yeah. There are people who are interested like Radman. He's interested in formula cars. He wants to do well. He's going to, he's going to do well. Look at his dad. He's just going to do well. And oh, he's going yeah, to do well sure. on that because it's a tradition for the family. But yeah, if you are off the street, if you're like my stepson, 19 years old, he's looking feverishly for an Evo 10. In 2000 and what is that? Uh, 2000 and it was an Evo 10. 2010 um, car. He's looking for one so bad. He really wants to tune it. He wants to put stuff on it. And I said, well, if you do it like this, you could build it to this type of class, and it could be a race car. He goes, I don't know. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, absolutely no interest in that whatsoever. <laughs> he wants a cool car, and he's going to put coilovers on it, and he's going to put great tires on it, and I'm going to take him. Probably, I'm going to try to bring him to council, but ultimately, someone that age is going to want to do something a bit more radical, a bit more interesting. He wants to do some drifting or something, right? That's where his focus is. And if I can bring him into racing, I will. I'll do my best, I promise. I'll keep you updated on it, <laughs> but it's more likely that, you know, it'll come around. Grid life. Yeah, he will come around. I think so. Ultimately, a grid life is probably a bit more attractive to him, though. <laughs> Well, yes, right. they have lots of shiny things to attract young young drivers. <laughs> you mean like women yeah, at their events? Oh, and music <laughs> and all kinds of fancy things. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but yeah, he will come to council. I mean, he obviously will. He's going to want to learn how to drive, and he'll he'll well, probably will hopefully start paying some interest in what I do. Maybe not, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's uh, you know you you look at that generation they really are interested in cars he he's he's works in the his dad's machine shop um he tore down a, a diesel engine the other day it was really cool he's doing really cool stuff so he's got the the aptitude the interest but he doesn't want to build a 1977 fiesta and i think that's the most important thing to let people know is that there are younger kids that are really into cars still you used to always mm. hear that you know from certain you know certain individuals or you know kids this day are running into it i think they are it's just they're into different forms of it i mean look at yeah. our, our iRacing series it took off this year i mean there's they're into racing it's just it's just different and uh, yeah. or they're into car shows like a lot of people don't realize that in chicago here in our area and it's like this up in milwaukee too there's a car show every night somewhere like oh, yeah. it, around town and, and people 
it's a huge car culture still. It's just a little bit tweaked, like Brandon said, it's tweaked a little different here and there each generation. But as long as that's still happening, that's all that's all you can hope for. And I don't and care I, if they're trying to show off electric cars or what. I just want them to be car people. Yeah, and that's how I got pulled in. Is you know, I bought my Fiesta, and then I you know took it to the first Cars and Coffee and met all the other crazy you know petrol heads and. You start going down the rabbit hole and you find the forum and you start doing like Kieran said with his stepson, you know, coilovers and hot air intakes just because that's what everybody else is doing. And then you finally, you know, find your way over to racing and you're sitting in the grid and your intake temps are above 100 degrees and it's pulling timing. You're like, where the hell did I put that intake on? I'm such an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> live and learn, man. You live and learn. That's, that's, how, you, yeah, you that's how you do it. I went to that you stage. Can't I went to my racer stage. Learn it. <laughs> oh yeah, everybody's got like one. It. Well, speaking of cars and heritage, Kieran, as you mentioned earlier, your family and you are British. Can you inform us? I am. How? I think so. I think so. I think so. Um, can you tell us a little bit of the history of? Was your dad involved in racing over? over across the pond i mean uh, the, you know england is the home i mean from brooklyn's to yeah. you know it, it's a you know they're just as steeped in the auto racing history as indianapolis so yeah my family's from southeast london uh both my mother and my father are from southeast london and uh, they're well in their 70s now so they're post-war kids um my dad actually doesn't qualify to be called a boomer he's actually too old um he he actually grew up, he was actually born during the war. And all those kids who were born right, you know, 1940 through, well, 1938 through 1945, all kind of had this generational attitude towards life and stuff like that. And they were quite adventurous group. Uh, they were all, you know, I think largest group of Brits who ever became, you know, had their own companies or CEOs and stuff like that. So really successful group of people because they were very adventurous. And one of the parts of what dad did as a young man, he's in his 16, 17, 18, I think that sort of age bracket. His friends would go down to Brands Hatch, which isn't very far from southeast London. It's less than an hour from the center of London, what you guys would call downtown. But don't ever say that to a Londoner. It's not downtown London. It's the city. City um, center, right? Anyway. City center? Yeah. Is city, it city center? City. Okay. Okay. City. City. city, city. <laughs> anyway, so he grew up in southeast London in a place called Shooter's Hill, uh, which isn't far from another place called Greenwich. You might know where that is. And so getting down to Brown's Hatch wasn't a big deal. So he'd used to go down, I think his friend was Duncan. Was that his name? Anyway, so Duncan had a race car and he was young too, even though I think, uh, I think looking back on it, he's probably eight, nine years older than my dad. And he used to go down there and help him race this old Hillman Imp. It was a really cool car. Um, and he used to go down to Brown's Hatch and he used to, help out down there. I don't know how many times he went down and did it, to be honest, but he's got some good stories, uh, especially coming back from the track in a in somebody's 60s era Mini that was built to be a rally car, so the carburetors were on the wrong side of the dashboard inside the car. <laughs> and whipping back through London, all the streets in southeast England in the fog in this Mini as fast as they could get back to London. Anyway, so all sorts of cool stories about that time. He, he really enjoyed it. And obviously he had the bug. So in the 80s, we used to go to Brown's Hatch to Formula One races, Alan Jones and all those guys. Really fun stuff. I obviously got the hook, uh, got hooked into it at that point. I was about eight years old watching 
you know these guys driving around in the in the Essex Essex livery lotuses and all that. It was really fun. So yeah, when we booked to America, uh, we got here in '87. Dad was in his mid early 40s, not much older than you are now, Michael. And he uh, immediately wanted to get into cars, and he because you know he had more money. America's a little less expensive and a little more free when it comes to automobiles. Insurance was a lot less expensive. So he wanted to get into nicer cars and he ultimately ended up with the Miata. And, uh, but yeah, no, Brands Hatch in the 60s, dad was really interested in cars, did a lot of uh, working on cars with my uncle, um, his future, his future wife's uh, brother, his best friend, <laughs> Southeast London garages, pulling, uh, Morgan engines apart and changing the white metal bearings on these things because they had only lost 30, 30, uh, 30,000 miles on a, on a crank. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. Well, have you, him on sometime. Yeah. I, we'll have him on for sure. But he, he has to remember back when crystal palace had a track and oh, yeah. you saw the, the classic circuits. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That were and, and a lot of people. Well, obviously rush the movie helped people realize how strong yeah. British Formula Three was. Oh yeah, and how oh, yeah. He, that was uh, that was a lot of pinnacle for guys. They're like, I'm cool. I'll just do F three. You know, back in oh, the yeah. day, and oh, it's yeah. amazing. He, he was at the track. There's a video online of the Chelsea touring car race between some of the Minis and the Ford Falcons. And the galaxies and things like that. Those really those giant killing minis and stuff. He was at track at those races. He remembers them. Yeah, well, yeah. Brian and yeah. I will definitely have him on for sure. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, and that's we were talking earlier. I went. I was able to go to Brands Hatch back in two thousand four. One of my best friends. He was going to grad school in Bristol, and uh, I was able to go over there. And we went for a, a Autosport magazine had a nice big show there. Uh, I was going to say uh, first part of December, last part of November. And uh, we got to see, I got to see, it was on the indie circuit. And uh, which people don't realize, Brands Hatch has the traditional Grand Prix layout that they use for motorcycles, BTCC, who's touring cars, and even F1. I, I, I didn't realize that F1 even ran a European Grand Prix there in 89, I think, or 90. So it's not yeah. terribly that, you know, those were, those were the, you know, Senna and everybody else running there on the old Grand Prix oh, layout. Yeah. But then they built the Indy track in the mid to late 70s for when USAC brought over the Indy cars a couple of times. And then the last open wheel race there was Champ Car back in 2003 for the London Trophy. Um, but we, I got to see uh, Scott Mansell drive an old uh, Michael Schumacher. Uh, I think it might have been a 94 Benetton Formula One car around there. Just sparking like hell and just and he beat the track record and a lot of different car culture things are really cool there. But uh, I could tell that's I actually have a picture of a sign that there's a sign that says Gasoline Alley and it's in it and it has the wing and wheel like Indianapolis, but it has the British mm. flag, the Union Jack and the American flag crossing. As kind of, mm. uh, it was very interesting. It was, it was right there at one of the garages. I thought that was kind of cool of, of kind of bridging those two tracks and, and their history. Um, cause it is one of the few tracks that has had an IndyCar history, um, oh, yeah. especially for England outside of Rockingham and Corby, which it doesn't exist anymore. But it's um, played host to quite a lot of American stuff. Um, not least of which James, James Garner's, uh, 
a Grand Prix movie was filmed there. Um, James Garner was there in a Formula Junior pretending to be a Formula One car and uh, ran over my mum's foot. Oh, oh, James. <laughs> I think she was taken taken by him because he came and apologized. Oh, did he really? <laughs> yeah, oh, nice. nice. He was a really good driver. He is one of the best actor drivers who ever drove a race car, but he wasn't allowed to do it. The studios absolutely shut him down, so he did a lot of ownership and movies and things like that. But yeah, he was apparently a very good race car driver. Yeah, I remember he... From the small little documentary stuff I've seen, he was because he predated Newman on some of this stuff. Oh, yeah, and, I'm pretty sure, yeah. And I know he owned oh, some late 60s stuff that used to run the 24 hours a Daytona. Um, I don't know if he owned actually, Can't have, yeah, he, yeah, he owned some, owned some of the KM stuff, but then he also owned some of the Baja stuff. I think him and um, Parnelli, um, like oh, the Ford Broncos right. in the late 60s. James was big in the Baja and yeah. I, I don't know if he was able to do that either because of insurance. He kind of really got screwed on some of that with insurance back in the day. Oh, now, yeah. now, now Newman figured out a, 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 you know, a way around it. And then, you know, Patrick Dempsey figured out a way around it in more modern times. Yeah. But um, yeah. you know, that's, you know, but, but speaking of actors, so I had, I had lunch with Patrick Dempsey because one day when we were, I was in the Painos IMSA school at road atlanta we were it was series testing and it was august of 2005 so gray's anatomy wasn't picked up yet but it was already showing on abc and he was late to, to the classroom at the tower at road atlanta and i was just sitting there like everybody else it's it, they're going over the lapping sessions it's then my instructors were Spencer Pompelli, Andy Lally, Ryan Eversley, Eric Foss, wow. like these big names were my instructors. And, and I'm just sitting there, okay, you know, and, you know, it's, and, and then all of a sudden he comes walking in from behind and it sits down. I'm like, man, that guy looks familiar. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, no way. Like, no way. Cause, you know, I knew, uh, you know, anybody that knew, that had a girlfriend at the time knew what Grey's Anatomy was. And then I remembered oh, yeah. him as, and I remembered him as a kid actor. I was like, no way. Oh, yeah. And then uh, I was wearing my USAC uniform. So I had my USAC midget car stuff, my Ford Focus stuff on, on my thing. And, you know, we just did testing and whatnot. And then we all had a catered lunch back, you know, and Pano was paid for it all. It was really nice. Um, catered mm -hmm. lunch there at the, the, you had the old road Atlanta tower. And then it was down at one of the VIP areas. And, uh, and he got my food. And I was just sitting down. He comes down and sits next to me. And he just starts shooting the shit, as they say, talking to me and just wants to know about my <laughs> racing. And I'm like, I know. dude, you know who in the hell you are? Which obviously he knew. But all these older guys had no idea who he was because I was the youngest <laughs> driver in the room at sports car racing. Um, and right. the instructors knew who he was. I mean, you know, all, all my instructors worked with him to get him in the Grand Am and in, in the Grand right. Am Cup Series. So they all knew what was going on. And, and I'm like. He's nice as could be, and I talked with him for yeah. an hour. He really wanted to get in a midget car, and he had just purchased part of Vision Racing, which was Tony George's IndyCar team, and it was right before oh, right. the merger uh, the of them, Champ Car and IndyCar, coming back together. And he was on his way to Chicago to the Joliet IRL race uh, oh, the cool. next, next new weekend. But we were talking about that. But nicest guys could be, 
And I remember standing in the flag stand with, um, God, who was I with? Um, I was with someone there from Painos and they were watching him and they were like, you know, he's, he's a, actually really good for, you know, people think actors yeah. or musicians can't do it really well. And he was, he was really good and really paid attention. And, you know, and he'd been through Skip Barber before, but, uh, and he, he wanted to do it. And I, I obviously we know now he's serious about it. And he oh, was, yeah. right. I, somebody was telling me, I think every time he got in a car, it was 12 grand a day in insurance. The studio, <laughs> or he had to pay or the studio paid. It was some insane number. It, and, and so that's why like on some of those grand amp cup races back then, he'd be entered but like charles espenlob who was another painos instructor he's a great guy he would be he would jump in and race for him kind of a thing you know back when you had the grand amp cup where it was two drivers you know uh um, right for the for the deal and uh but no nice nice guy nice guys you know nice as could be and um you know i was like oh wow like, but i was like you really want to know what i do <laughs> like, you know i have a very weird story about jack uh, uh patrick dempsey myself i uh I, in, in 2005, uh, two really good friends of mine, racers, um, a guy named Kareem, uh, otherwise known as Alex at Council uh, Talbot, who spec me out a guy, been racing for years. We started at the same time. He's my best friend now. Alex and I went down with a guy named uh, Aaron to uh, Laguna Seca. I was living in California at the time. We went to the Grand Am race because uh, Kareem's friend, uh, a guy named, oh, what was he? I forget his name, but john uh, but he owned anchor racing a oh, couple i remember of that i remember yeah them. yeah 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 he had a couple of guys from the local area bmw club yep. as mechanics uh it was really cool it's a really sort of weird event i'd been living in california for about five six years at that point and uh we we stayed in uh in monterey and we went to the race and we and john had was very nice and handled uh everything for us and we we three were crew. I held the, I held the flag. I know, so the uh, the pit box number. Uh, oh, the the really lollipop. Cool yeah, the lollipop. Yep. And the car over from us, the next grid uh, over from us was the RX-8 that oh, uh, yeah. Patrick was driving. I think he was driving for, was it Roar Motorsports, maybe? I, uh, I don't now. know, but Sylvian Tremblay was his, was his uh, teammate. Speed Source. He was doing Speed, speed Source. Speed Source, that was yep. it. Yeah, that, that was it. it. And uh, I, I was sitting down. And I'm like, wow, that's Patrick Dempsey's recall. So, to be honest, I actually did like the first few seasons of uh, McDreamy and his TV show. <laughs> yeah. um, so I was quite in awe. I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. That's Patrick. He came and sat down and talked to me, just like you. You were talking oh, about. Yeah. Just super interested. Really wanted to know everything. How did you get into racing? Well, how did you? How did you? I'm like, why shouldn't I be asking you all these questions? Right. And uh, just the nicest guy. And he, he kept coming over during the race and talking to me really excitedly when Sylvian uh, put his car on his roof in turn, uh, turn 10 at, at Laguna. I was like, oh, no. He said, he's like, oh, I can't believe it. He's on his roof. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be in in a minute. We're going to try to fix the car. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, really interesting stuff. He's cool. He's a cool guy. Very yeah, and very very charitable like all the history i've seen with him and um with his mom yeah. with cancer and stuff like he's 
he, he's a really, really down to earth, down to earth guy. Um, but speaking of Laguna Seca, that's on my bucket list of places just to go. I've heard they oh, have yeah. really it's good track, track food of all things, like gourmet. Type <laughs> track food. I went there with the BMW a couple of times, BMW club a couple of times. I, I remember the track food actually just being supplied by the BMW club. So I couldn't tell you if it's any good or not. <laughs> Um, but I did learn the track, and that's that's one of my feathers in my cap. I actually know how to drive Laguna. I'm quite happy with that, I, even though it's, it's probably outdated and very rusty at this point because I haven't been there since 2009. But yeah, no, it's a lovely racetrack. It's and it's and it's weird. Corkscrew isn't the hard turn. It's turn nine. That's the hard one. Really? <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. that's what wow. Yeah. Huh. So it's not it's not the corkscrew. It's the all comma. Okay, it's all getting it's the out turn of turn right after it. Yeah, and it's the turn. It's the turn after it because the turn after it has no real turn in point. You're just mid track. It's very yeah, it's odd, like a, but you still have like to use pink. it all, all of it. Yeah, hmm. strange corner. Strange corner. Now, can you still yeah. see anyway. the remnants of the old Laguna there? Like a lot yeah. of people don't uh, realize, it was like almost half a looking oval. Like it was a weird layout back in the day. Yeah, it was. Now you really don't see it anymore. That okay. the new section they built after turn two really is really covers it up. I mean, they've got parking lot for you know club corrals and all those things. It's, it's all gone now. Okay. I think you might be able to see it on the outside. I think bits of it are have been repaved to be a, a ring road for for vehicles, um, but I don't think it, much of it exists much anymore. Okay. So how long were you out in California running? Because you ran NASA out in California, correct? Yeah, yeah I got uh, I got relicensed with uh, I was big in the BMW club. I uh, got Pacific Region instructor certified. It's surprisingly difficult to get instructor rating out there. Um, There's so much competition. Um, yeah, so I got uh, BMW Club mostly was my focus. Uh, I ended up at NASA with Becky 30 in 2009-10. I really started it properly in 2010 and 2011. And then I left California in 2012. So it was a quick short run of, of NASA, Specky 30. I came back here and ran Specky 30 with NASA for a while. And then they did the Great Lakes merger um, with the Midwest region. Right, and, when Jay uh, and Eric took over. Really wasn't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's when yeah. I came back to council. Yep. Well, you're like me. I'm a former NASA guy. I'm still a member, but I'm a council yeah. guy through and through. But I, I still have my NASA connections here. Now I'm poking my head over the fence, like I'm like I'm on home improvement, seeing what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> I still talk yeah, to no, Jay I, and I, Eric, so yeah, we're good guys. Yeah, I, every now and then I get an email, a random email from Jay going, "Are you going to come racing this year?" It's like. Wait, do I, do I, did I actually ever speak to you? I guess I did. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I did. But yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, I'm going to, basically my car, my new car is basically a spec E46. If I'm willing to spend the money on the suspension, I, I, it would pass. So I, I do think about it. I do think about it. Cool. Excellent. So is there anything else you want to inform people of before our Saturday, April 24th? racing school at Blockhawk Farms on the weekend that is sanctioned by 
Lakeshore Sports Car Club in Salt Creek of the No Time to Spin race event. I had to fit all that in. That's a mouth. It's a mouthful. I had to fit it in though. Yeah. So I didn't understand the word you said. I I know and and uh, <laughs> but the driving school, the racing school, Saturday, April twenty fourth, yeah. the Blackhawk Farms Raceway, South Floyd, Illinois. We- you can register on motorsportreg.com. Uh, or go to the we- our website mcscc.org and if you click on the first event it will take you to the page to register is there anything they need to know outside of normal licensing or medical forms or just you know get on to motorsportsreg.com and sign up it's an easier sign up this year uh, medical forms are updated things like that uh, be aware for your uh, the online class and the online test, and we'll see you at the racetrack on the 23rd of April. Excellent, excellent. And if anybody wants more current updates with our constant contact, you can when you go to mcscc.org, um, you can register to uh, get our constant contact, get on our email list. Um, so there's a tech day, real quick. And this goes along with your school as well, Karen. So Advanced Auto Sports is handling their, holding their annual tech day, Saturday, April 10th. Um, and it's by appointment only. And so you have to contact Patty at 608-313-1230 um, to get an appointment. Uh, no medicals are available, but if you want your car teched before, you come out to Black Hawk Farms. So that's one thing you really don't have to... Uh, worry about you can take it to advanced on saturday april 10th advanced auto sports in uh, beloit wisconsin and uh thank you karen it's been great i know we've talked about this since last year when the podcast notion was going around and uh it went swimmingly well um we will brandon and i will both be there for racing school um on saturday uh there in april and uh is there anything else you want to say or that's it. No, thank you very much for having me. It's very, very, uh, it's really cool experience. No, no problem. Thank you. And we will definitely schedule your dad to be on because he sounds like he <laughs> <really> should. <laughs> we really will should. for sure. So thank you again for spending time with us. And Brandon, is there anything you want to add? Nope. Uh, got nothing over here. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening to the Midwestern Council Paddock Podcast, episode number three, featuring Kieran Gobi. And we will see you next time.